0: hey man what's up not a whole lot it's sunny out
1: yeah yeah it was a nice day today
0: yeah here too so this is episode 68 this is episode 68 this is probably our this is our final patreon only episode of uh, well
1: i think maybe episode 70 will also be patreon only but it may be a very special episode we're still figuring it out
0: yeah we're not sure what we're doing yet We, we, we have to talk about that after this recording
1: yeah, we do. But this is our last Patreon episode, our last for sure Patreon episode. Uh, we just want to thank all of y'all. We've done it a million times. We'll do it again. Y'all are the best. Uh, thank you for helping us make this podcast.
0: Yeah, as we've said before, uh, you know, we'll just, just hammer the point home that really <laughs> the, these last few seasons wouldn't have been possible without those of you who are supporting us on Patreon. It makes it possible for us to produce the podcast, and
1: we really do appreciate that yeah for sure chris you want to talk about negotiating for salaries today uh well does anyone really want to talk about negotiating um (laughs) uh yeah i mean it's a spicy topic this is why we keep we keep the spicy stuff in the in the patreon only episodes
0: that's right we thought that uh this week uh the topic of negotiating like um you know this whole process of like getting a good job offer that that you like and that the company that's hiring you likes how does that work? I don't know. It's very hard.
1: <laughs> it's very hard, and it's very counterintuitive. I think
0: it's hard. It's counterintuitive, uh, and especially I think for for people like me who um, maybe like stereotypically Midwestern, it's like very uncomfortable, right? <laughs> a little too nice to negotiate your salary, right? Um, but it is uh, necessary, and um, I mean we'll we'll cover this, but it's it's necessary, and the people on the other side of this negotiation are are doing it, are treating it as a negotiation, and um, Uh, It's at the end of the day, it's uh, it's business. It's a business negotiation. It's a business decision.
1: Yeah. So the first link in the in the show notes is what I consider basically to be the holy bible of software engineer negotiation, Um, and I want to read a short little snippet of it, which I think is kind of the the slam dunk best part the thing is about seven thousand words um so it's long
0: it's a long article but it's well worth the read in fact yeah maybe just go read that and don't listen to the rest Maybe we should just <laughs>
1: read this post out loud and then that could be the whole show
0: okay we'll just trade off
1: paragraphs <laughs> so but there's one particular part where i do want to read which i think is really really enlightening to just average people like you and me and our listeners here uh, so, so the writer is patrick mckenzie um, and he writes, We've been talking about your employer as an ab- abstraction, but in the instant case, you're talking to an actual person. Let's call him Bob. It is Bob's job to get you to sign with the company as cheaply as possible, but Bob is not super motivated to do so because, and this part's important, Bob is not spending Bob's money to hire you, Bob is spending Bob's budget. Bob generally does not get a large performance uh, incentive for shaving money off of his hiring budget. You get a new MacBook Pro if you convince Bob uh, to give you 5 k extra, but Bob gets, if he is anom- anomalously lucky, a dinner at TGI Fridays if he convinces you to take 5 k less. In fact, there are many organizations and Bobs for whom power, status, and money come from asking for more budget every year. If you turn out to be on the expensive side, that's great for Bob because he manages a high-powered peon, so he must be a high-powered manager, and this will help help Bob get more budget next quarter. So if you're worried about what Bob will think of your moral character or you want to compensate Bob because you feel you owe him for this job opportunity, do Bob a solid and negotiate in a spirited fashion with him. So the important part here is like you know, if I am trying to get Chris to pay for something – Every cent I get out of Chris, out of Chris for something that I want, let's say I want to like, you know, take him, uh, make lunch for him. Every cent <laughs> that I get out of out of Chris comes out of Chris's pocket. But when you're negotiating for your job, when you're talking to that hiring manager or the HR person or whoever you're talking to, that money doesn't come out of their pocket. It comes out of somewhere else. It comes out of their, the business. The business is ready to spend a ton of money on you. And so, I think yeah. this is the first like kind of counterintuitive point of like you think that you know you're doing someone a favor by taking less money, and they just they don't care it's just it's not their money it's, yeah it's not real numbers to them, they just don't care
0: right like worst worst case, they just don't care um and yeah, best case they with, actually
1: like it like like Patrick Benchers actually like that you took less money or took more money
0: yeah, I think uh this kind of lines up with one um like with a similar thought a similar point that like is also made in this article that employees are expensive like the extra five thousand dollars that you may negotiate from bob is like a, a very small percentage of your cost to the company
1: yeah your total cost includes um the payroll taxes they have to pay on you the health care costs they have to pay on you right. the all the overhead of like putting you in an office and um paying for your air conditioner and your computer and all that and so, an extra five K seems like a lot to you, but to the company, it's not as much as you might. It's think. It's such
0: a small marginal cost, right? Yeah. Um, so, one thing that I that I am curious to ask you about, like this, probably changes a little bit if you're at a like if you're at a
1: startup, right? So, yeah. So, if you're at a startup, things uh, change, and I like to think of it as you have a bunch of dials to turn. And so, you know, obviously, one of the dials is your base salary. Uh, one of the dials is your signing bonus. So if you want a certain amount of money up front right when you take the job, another dial is how many vacation days you have. Another dial is, you know, other benefits like, you know, commuter benefits or something like that. Another Mm -hmm. dial is, you know, there's all these things that you can twist and turn to get from your – employer one of the main ones with startups is the equity that you get right and so part of what they say with uh when you're negotiating with startups is say okay well i will take a smaller salary because i know you just don't have the money to pay me um as much as i would expect from right
0: this is like the one case where what we said before the company has money to spend on employees like is not uh is not necessarily as true
1: yeah it's not as true but it is still true to some degree it's still true Right. Yeah. If you're a startup and you raise your seed round of 500 grand, I would guess 90 percent of that goes towards payroll. Like that is what they're there to spend money on. They are not spending money on computer. Like, like the thing they're spending money on is people to build their cool thing. They're not spending money on on other stuff. Whereas you know, if you started a shaving company, like you might have to buy a factory. uh, (laughs) Startups don't really work like that. So the main thing they have to spend money on is their employee salaries, and so that is like. They're ready to spend money on that. They know they'll need to. That's what they raised money for.
0: Yeah. All right. I guess, yeah, that, that's true. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. And I actually think that it kind of makes our lives a little bit difficult when they say, oh, you have unlimited, you know, vacation, you have unlimited sick days. We're going to pay for all your lunch. But what because does that it, actually mean? Well, sometimes it really does mean unlimited. Uh, I mean, sometimes it means like we, there's like this.
0: I mean, there's often like a weird culture or a, um, not not a weird culture, but like, some sort of expectation that, uh, you know, you'll take two weeks off in the summer, and that's basically it.
1: Right, right. The fact that they give you unlimited, you're supposed to kind of um, take your cues from the other people around you and feel too guilty to take vacation. And that can be the case in some places, although some places really do mean, um, mm-hmm. you know, you have infinite vacation. I've heard of people taking, you know, six weeks of vacation in a year, which sounds pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I could right. deal with that. <laughs> yeah, so... And, um, I mean, I don't know how far you can push that if, you know, you had a sick family member, like how long they would let you, you know, go back home and and take care of that family member. But when you have unlimited um, vacation time already on the table, there's no way you can tweak that as a dial. So there's no way that can go up. Whereas if they say, oh, you have three weeks of vacation, you can say, well, I'll take – $2,000 Two thousand less this um, in my in my base salary, but I'll a- ask for three extra vacation days or something. Yeah, and we can't really do that so much in startups, which is kind of a bummer. So you have fewer things to tweak. Um, I primarily think of it as you have your signing bonus to tweak, you have your um, base salary, and you have your equity.
0: Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, and startups I think are most ready to spend money on equity because it's fake to them. If they become <laughs> successful, they'll be happy to pay you out, and if they don't become successful, they don't owe you anything. And then they're next ready to, I think, pay uh, signing bonuses because that's only for the first year. Um, and then they're and then the last thing they want to budge on is sort of the the salary, right? Yeah. So yeah. So negotiating with with startups can be a little bit different, but ultimately it's um, it's the same. You provide a big value to the company that you work for, and you and you know your job is to. You know, get as much of that value back in your pocket as possible. One thing I one fact that I really like is uh, if you're, let's say, trying to value your startup or you're trying to sell your startup. One really good back of the envelope calculation is a million dollars per engineer. So if your startup has ten engineers, it's back of the envelope worth ten million dollars.
0: Right. Just in terms of like a really rough estimate yeah, of valuation, extremely rough, and it yeah. actually
1: happens to be more accurate than you would think. Really? Um, yeah. It ends up being like close to the close to the value it's definitely within an order of magnitude and so if you're providing a million dollars of value to this company how much of that value should end up in your pocket is the question
0: right and uh i mean obviously not all of it's gonna end up in your pocket because that's not how companies work yeah but um right an extra an extra few thousand dollars really i guess again is a pretty small amount of like your value to the company
1: exactly yeah totally So, yeah, so um, it's so negotiation. I think, I think, kind of what we're settling on is negotiation is this weird counterintuitive thing. It's sometimes hard to think about, but is still valuable to do so because your salary ends up compounding over time. You usually don't take um, jobs that make that where you make less than the job you had before and so if you can negotiate an extra five thousand dollars on your salary you may actually get to keep that for your whole career right. and that is actually really really valuable so it's a super valuable thing to be able to do um, and it doesn't work the way you think it does so it's worth learning a little bit about it so that you can um get that extra scratch in in what other ways does it
0: not work the way i think it does so far i feel like it pr- like pretty much works the way i think it does except that like Things just are not as big a deal to the other, like, to the potential employer as they are to you, the potential
1: employee. Yeah, I I mean, I think, so once you've read this post a couple of times, then you kind of know some of the more counterintuitive things. But I still find people who uh, fall into the trap of thinking that, like, oh, if I ask for, you know, $5,000 more here, I'm going to be taking it out of the pocket of this person like it's a zero-sum game. And... Uh, so I still see people that make that mistake. Um, there's other ones as well. I think the, the main way to think about it is the things that are important to you may not be the things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. So w- one other example of a weird one is like the company is is kind of incentivized to give you the most ironclad confidentiality agreement that they can. And it'll say, you know, you can't do any work on the side. You can't do any, you know, if you do anything on our computers, it belongs to us. And You know, it's easy for them to ask for that, but at the end of the day, that's not really enforceable, and they really don't care if they get it or not. And so, if it's something that's important to you and you want to be able to make your own little side projects and not have to worry about, um, you know, the company that you're owning, the company that you work for, potentially getting a stake in that side project, when they give you that confidentiality agreement, you can say, "Hey, look, like this is actually pretty important to me, and I'm not, I'm not like going to sign this part of it. Like, I would like to." The lawyers call it redlining. You redline this part and say, Mm -hmm. "I don't." I'm not going to, um, I don't want to sign this part, like go back and change this.
0: Right. You may well be able to do that for, right, at least parts of this agreement. And again, yeah. Bob doesn't really care,
1: right? Okay. Bob doesn't care at all. Yeah. Um, fun, fun little story. One time I uh, joined a startup and kind of, you know, medium sized, tens of employees, and they gave me a confidentiality agreement and it said, anything you work on at any time belongs to us and i said hey look i'm not really kind of crazy <laughs> yeah well and like you know if you work for apple or google that's in there and you're not taking it out yeah with these smaller startups they just you know what are they gonna do and so i um went back to them i said hey like this contract's fine but this part i can't i can't work with this part can you like can you do something for me and so i went back to their lawyer and their lawyer changed it to you know you, anything you work on the inside just can't compete with us and I was like, that's fine. I can work with that.
0: I feel like that's a that's a fairly standard like employment agreement kind of clause. Yeah.
1: Don't compete with us seems pretty reasonable. And and it seems
0: reasonable, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so they ended up changing it. I ended up signing it. And then later I heard that I was the first employee of all of their employees to send the contract back with anything to be changed. Really? That's... Every pretty, single other person just signed it.
0: That's kind of surprising, but yeah, crazy not that here. surprising, right? Like... If you get, um, yeah, I guess there's a tendency, especially before I read this article, to assume, okay, this is your like standard employment agreement. I take this or leave this. But I mean, again, it's not, um, you know, all, all of this is all of this is malleable.
1: Yeah, everybody who gives you a contract is, is going to tell you it's standard. It doesn't mean it is standard. It's the standard is what you signed,
0: right? Or even if it is standard, like,
1: well, yeah. okay,
0: <laughs> we yeah, got this exactly. far in the process. Is uh, is this worth blowing up the this this um, deal over?
1: yeah that's another good counterintuitive thing is the um sort of sunk cost fallacy situation where once they've spent uh, Patrick talks about this in the blog post as well it's a very good blog post. you' really should read it. but he says that uh you know if they spe- if they have eight engineers interviewing you in groups of two for an hour each, let's say, uh four interviews, two engineers each, that's eight hour eight like engineer hours of time that's worth thousands of dollars to the company already and that's like mm. not including the phone screen that's not including the time the hr person spent on you the time you know they they spent huddling up and talking about you like say hey should we hire this person or not
0: right by the time you get to the point of they salary negotiation tens, thousands
1: $10,000 on you and yeah. so they really really want you to sign and so they've got this sunk cost fallacy and you can kind of take advantage of that sunk cost uh, fallacy that's going on with them and say hey uh, I would love to sign. I would love to work for your company. Your company sounds great. I would love to provide value to you in X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. ways. But first, I'm going to need this. Right. Yeah. And they spend all this time finding you. And, um, right, you know, which, is, like, which is not easy. Yeah. If you know, for example, that they have um, – that they're – position has been open for six months then that's something that you can bring up in negotiation hey like do you want to wait another six months to sign someone or do you want to sign someone today give me that extra four grand and i will be happy to sign on the line that is dotted right
0: oh bell i forgot we had those we got bells yeah we got bells we're a real podcast that's um, right and that kind of one of the phrases they use there was that, like take advantage of which sounds like a bad thing that doesn't sound like a nice phrase right um and maybe it's not but this is kind of something that i mean i still haven't like really internalized like this is still a very very like a hard process for me personally but the thing to internalize like it's at the end of the day like it's business you're like people dealing with each other but um it's it's a business deal like uh you can you can negotiate you can ask for more you can send a contract back and it will probably work and and i mean if it doesn't work uh at at the end of the day um, that, that's nothing for you to feel bad about, right? It's yeah. it's purely a business.
1: So it's worth putting yourselves in their shoes, right? If if they have an employee that comes in and says, hey, I want like 10 grand more and then I'm happy to sign, they're not going to say, oh, like this guy is so rude for asking for 10 grand. We're just going to not hire him at all. Um, <laughs> right. People don't really work like that. So they're like, look, sorry, we can't offer you 10 grand more, but we would love to have you for this much. And and like if you can't sign it, you can't sign it, but this is what we got. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe they can come up by 5K. You ask for 10, they come back with 5, and you can decide if that's worth it. But they're not just going to kick you to the curb for, for asking for um, for, asking for a little bit more money. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure.
0: So one other thing to keep in mind is the like standard negotiating advice that everyone tells you uh, and that everyone tells you because it's true is uh, not to be the first person to name a number. Um, this post has a couple techniques for for avoiding being the first person to name a number. If if uh, and you know, hopefully you'll be able to avoid that. Uh, another technique that I've used in the past is like to be the first person even number, but name a number that I think is completely crazy. Yeah. Um,
1: take a number that you'd be happy to get, multiply it by an extra twenty percent, and right. hit them with that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: and if you get
0: that, that's great because uh, you were ha- it was you're happy with it plus twenty percent. And, uh, <laughs> and if not, then, um, you know, you've, you've named a point that, uh, they can't get to and, uh, you, th- then they're trying to negotiate you down from there.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, other stuff you can do, you can practice this stuff, take a friend and, um, yeah. you know, sort of, sort of role play the situation, uh, figure out the kind of the language that you use saying that things are like, Oh, that's a really interesting, you know, offer, uh, I was thinking more in the ballpark of whatever, and then mm-hmm. like being able to like have the language that you that like these things are done in is can be also helpful so like being like role playing that stuff can be good
0: that I think would have been good for me to do in uh, the most recent situation like this that I was in um i think our uh yeah some of some of the like conversations along the road uh just weren 't um I don't know, it didn't seem like they went super well. I think partly because I was like st- kind of stumbling and like struggling to find the the words and you know eventually it worked out, but uh you know we we probably should have role played this before.
1: Yeah, a little practice uh a little practice never hurt anybody.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. Uh, uh and now that you mention that, I don't remember if uh, this comes up in the blog post at all, but um I mean, definitely practice. Like, how often do you actually practice this? Probably not very often. You know, maybe a few, maybe, uh, what, 10 times across your career, something like that, on the order of magnitude 10 anyway, right? Yeah. Um, whereas the people, whoever's on the other side here probably does this a lot. Um, yeah,
1: if they're a fast career startup, they're doing this three times a week.
0: Right. So, yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about this before we started this, this discussion, but yeah, practice. Uh, you're at a disadvantage
1: otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I really hadn't considered that. They do this so much more than you. Right. They do it a lot more than you. And you know what? Like, I've done some of this stuff, and sometimes it doesn't work. And yeah. sometimes you end up with an offer that you're not happy with. But again, at least you took a shot, and you, like, like saw if it could work or not. And they give you an offer, and you know that that's the best offer you're going to get from them. Whereas, you know, the the other side of it is, the side you don't want is, like, you say, "Oh, I want you know, one hundred and five and they immediately say, "Great, sounds good." Sign here, <laughs> and you're like, "Well, maybe I screwed myself a little bit." Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, it depends a lot on the market that you're in. It depends on the competition of other engineers. It depends on how many employers there are. Obviously, mm-hmm. New York and SF are going to be different than, say, Ann Arbor um, mm-hmm. or other places like
0: that. Yeah, elsewhere in the Midwest, uh, yeah.
1: elsewhere in the world. Um, right. All there, there, there are other countries yeah that's right <laughs> it's tough but you gotta try and if you try you get more results than if you don't try god this is not helpful <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm hoping uh i'm hoping people actually find the show helpful yeah, one, one other note uh that I, th- I think also comes up in this um in the article but is to do research about the company and this is standard inner like just interview advice that on like a surprising number of people don't seem to do. I remember when I was like interviewing developers for the times, I I think I can share this without sharing anything like confidential. I get a surprising number of candidates who like had not used the New York times iPhone app. And it kind of feels like if you're interviewing to work on that app, you should at least have like downloaded it and played with it for two minutes before the interview.
1: I have to be honest here. I am not great at this. I have gone into (laughs) interviews without doing the research I have gone into interviews without doing, playing with the app, although I'm much better about that now. I try, even with my clients, like before I talk to them, like try to see what they've got. And try to download it and play with it. Yeah, um, you you are so much better off if you just know what their app does, and you can also like hit them with stuff like, "Oh, I was going through this phone and I got a crash." You know, you and then hit them with like a joke like, "Oh, if you give me Git access, I would love to fix this for you."
0: And that's great. And maybe um, you know, on the flip side, the interviewer might say, "So, what kind of things might cause that crash? Like, if it, or yeah. I mean, is it just a crash with nothing particular going on? That's one thing, but uh, yeah, the, then that can be a great like kind of good." Like, you know, conversation started during the interview. But, right, even setting aside, like, during the uh, interview process, which, again, if you've like downloaded and played with the app, you're at an advantage over at least a third of the, uh, the, you're like, an the candidates me, and people see. You know? Advantage <laughs> over servers. Um But if you have people in your network who like have worked with this company before, um, this obviously is more true i think mid sized or larger companies but uh and you're comfortable like asking them about um you know what's what do people value at this company is it is it titles is it uh salaries is it vacation days um is it equity is there anything that like is easy to get you know is easy to get the company to budge on what you know what's what's reasonable for me to expect from this company i mean again it's it's an asymmetrical game, right so any information that you can get beforehand like puts you at less of a disadvantage
1: yeah totally um one other thing that i want to throw out is like the upper bound is so inconceivably high like i just think about some of the some of the like (laughs) some of the numbers i've heard through the grapevine and it's very very high even just recently i heard uh on twitter stephanie hurlbert i don't know if you follow her but um she's good uh, I'll put this tweet into the into the show notes, but she was saying, just a PSA, I know of many people, probably over 100, who are programmers who are making high six figures a year, including RSUs, like stock options, bonuses, and she's like, that's just in my network. And when somebody asks her, what do you mean by high six figures? She means 500K plus. Damn. And she knows 100 people making that. Huh. I'm not sure if I know anybody making that, but like... Those people are out there. And the value that a programmer brings to the company is so, so big because you can automate processes. Mm-hmm. You can write code that pays for itself. Um, you can
0: write the product that the company is selling.
1: Yeah, I mean, literally, you can make the product itself. Right. But even you can do the meta work as well. If like there's a challenging flow for like gathering a certain kind of data, you can write a SQL query that will you know, replace two data entry people. Like You could just mm-hmm. do that in an afternoon. And you just have a ton of value to the company, and um like Dan Liu, um who's another great person d a n l u u um he had a tweet from a while back that like he saved Microsoft like eight figures on their hosting infrastructure costs for Bing like he saved them you know somewhere between ten and a hundred million dollars it's like, well, how much are you going to pay this guy like <laughs> <laughs> like, how yeah. can you pay this guy enough for what he's for what he's worth or what he saved you? And it's just so like the top end is just so egregiously high.
0: Yeah, this is this is nuts.
1: Yeah, Man. it's pretty unreal. I'll try to find that eight figures uh, tweet as well. It's it's a crazy world out there. Maybe not, you're not going to hit these numbers. Maybe I'm not going to hit these numbers, or Chris won't hit these numbers. But you can push a little bit, and if you yeah. push a little bit. It can really make a meaningful difference in your life.
0: Yeah. It, you're probably worth more than you think you are.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, may, maybe not to every company, but uh, you want to find the companies where, where you
1: are. Yeah. And again, like, you know, maybe you don't value having a ton of money. You do value some other kind of flexibility. Yeah. And if you want to negotiate and say, oh, I want more vacation time or I want work from home days or whatever, mm-hmm. you can make all that happen. Yeah
0: absolutely you make
1: all that happens. so it, it
0: may be maybe uncomfortable this is, again just come from like my personal experience right maybe uncomfortable but uh you know it's it, it, it's business right none of this is is really personal
1: totally totally yeah um it's just it's it's you know maybe we can close out with a with a cute little bit from the top of this post imagine something a wee bit outside your comfort zone nothing scandalous just something you don't do very often don't particularly enjoy And it's slightly more challenging than totally trivial. Maybe reciting poetry while simultaneously standing on one foot. What if I told you I would pay $100,000 if you did five minutes of poetry recital while standing on one foot? Would you do it? It's an absurd image to play it straight. There's no gotcha, no videotape, your friends will never see you, no YouTube. Uh, The offer is as simple as you think it is. Poetry, one foot, $100,000. Would you read poetry for me? Of course you would. You'd be stupid not to. So,
0: so what do you want me to read? Uh, any, any favorite yeah, poetry?
1: Exactly. <laughs> and he says, what if you were talking about this at dinner with your friends? And one of them said, oh, no, I'd never do that. I just don't do poetry. I'm an engineer. And beside, my father told me that people who stand on one foot look silly. And what do I need $100,000 for anyhow? You would not clap them on the back and say, damn straight, man, poets. Always trying to tempt virtuous engineers into their weird poetry spouting flamingo standing waves. You'd say, dude, it's five minutes. I'll help you practice. And he says, "This is how he feels about negotiation. It is not a lot of effort, and you can get the hundred thousand dollars of value by maybe negotiating an extra five grand and seeing those returns over ten or twenty years, um, which is right. really not unreasonable. I mean, you're going to be an engineer for a very long time, and you know that's money on the table."
0: Yeah, and that's something that I think engineers are stereotypically not great at. I certainly am not great at it, and could use practice, uh, but is very important.
1: Yeah, totally, totally,
0: and that's that's really of all i've got i don't know i hope this was useful you should read this blog post you should uh
1: yeah frankly just point yeah. the blog post the whole point of this uh whole point of this discussion basically yeah, yeah. Well, we had some good
0: observations you know you should you should practice
1: yeah you should practice and you should you should study up on your company before you go in for an interview
0: yeah seriously <laughs> download the app and play with it like you'll be ahead of of 40 of people already yep <laughs> it's mind-blowing but uh hey sir <laughs> hey chris <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, I'll talk to you next week. Cool. Uh, Talk to you later, Chris.